I am unashamed. What about you? Welcome back to Unashamed. I'm glad to have you guys along. As always, we were uh, we were talking in between recordings because we record a couple, you know, and uh, so we just got finished with you know the podcast from a couple of days ago, and in between there we were talking about that some folks that Dad had baptized. Um, yesterday that because people come and, and by the way, we've said, come, you know, come to WFR if you want to. Uh, a lot of people have come there just to check us, check it out, see if we're real people, which we are. Uh, others have come to renew their life, which is a great blessing. Some have come to be baptized, which we've encouraged that as well. Dad does an unashamed Bible study uh, every nine o'clock at WFR every Sunday. Uh, if he's in town, which is most Sundays, and so we've encouraged that. And dad, you were talking about a, a young man that had talked about in the, as he was in the water, there, sharing some things that had happened to him in, in his past and things that he's, these burdens that he's carried. And it really touched me when you were telling us that, because, you know, a lot of times transformation, obviously when we're coming to this point of submission to Christ and we're saying everything we've ever done, we want to, you know, give to Christ and we can be redeemed and freed. But it's also things that maybe have been done to us as well. It's about a release of people holding something over you or the evil one something holding over you. And so the burden that's lifted is not always just your own actions. It's any actions. It's anything that's affected you in a negative way. And at least I, you know, part of our witness in the last podcast, Jace was talking about the, his family and what they've been able to do through what Mia has dealt with and they have dealt with with her their, her whole life. For other people like us, sometimes it was bad decisions. And, uh, and Lisa's been very open about some things that happened to her as a child that then affected how she viewed life, how she viewed people, uh, led to her being a dishonest person. And then finally, when she relented and allowed God to remove what not only she had done in her past, but what other people had done to her, it it totally transformed her into a different person. So I do think that that's powerful and for our audience out there to know that when you give up everything to Christ, it means everything. And things that maybe you've held on to, think hurts, old things in your family, maybe a bad relationship with a parent, whatever, all these can be given to Christ. And when renewal happens, that's when this transformation can take place. So that's a, that's a pretty big deal uh, when you think about it. A good text to read when if you walk down into a pool of water. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, that uh, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, this great text here, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with it, with Him in His death, we'll certainly also be united with Him with His resurrection. That's what goes on inside a pool of water. For we know that our old self, the some will confess their sins while they're standing there in the water. And you remind them that all their sins are, in just a moment, will be washed away and God will give you his spirit to help you live a godly life in him. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So that death, burial, 
It's a great thing. It's throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. At the end of all of them, Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the dead. So that's what we preach. It is not hard to understand. It's, 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 it's a simple truth. And uh, I'm happy to report that since that movie, The Blind, came out, me being one of the blind, that was me, blind, or in the duck blind. But you say, you track it back to there, you just simply tell others what happened and the rest belongs to God. We're just servant, servants to proclaim Jesus. That's all we are, just servants proclaiming the gospel. And Dad, it was really, it was highlighted and so beautiful in the film because you, you literally in the film, you come to this moment of recognition on the banks of the water that later, a little bit later in the film, you would be immersed into that, that same lake with the idea of giving up everything. But then I thought really what brought it all together in the movie was when your buddies show up, you know, and say, Hey, we, you know, we want you to go with us. Let's go out and drink and party again. And you said, the guy you're looking for is dead. Yep. You know, he's been put to death. I was speaking of my baptism. They all looking at each other like I'd gone nuts. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like you were crazy. One out of that little group. One. That's right. 12 years later, the phone rang and he said, I need to talk to you. I knew the way he said, I need to talk to you. Something was up in his life. And uh, as it turned out, old Big Al obeyed the gospel. We had a driving around talking about what we'd done for years, but usually with a a fifth of whiskey between us. So all that was gone on my part, and I pointed him to Jesus. He obeyed the gospel. Two months later, his life was taken from this earth, but he made it. That's right. He made it. So that's uh, took him took him about twelve years. No, and I think that just applies to people, and I mean, there's so many people where they are and what they need. So, but I don't that touched me when you were telling me about the guy because we all come into this with something, and the only thing that can redeem us is what Jesus did for us. That's so it. that's really powerful and a powerful part of the film. Um, so we've been in Luke chapter fifteen, and. Zach, you were not with us because you were doing getting the movie out there when we talked about this chapter. And Jason and I both said that it's probably one of our favorite chapters in the whole Bible, um, and especially in the book of Luke, just because of the stories that Jesus tells. And, of course, it's couched in this idea of what we talked about in the last podcast, and that is is that the flawed, the damaged um, the people who the world looks at, and sometimes even religious leaders in this case, look at and say, well, these people aren't worth spending time with. And so it, it starts with this idea about why does, why does he eat with these sinners and tax collectors? And so Jesus tells three stories, which, you know, are based on the idea that God seeks out those who are flawed and who are weak and who are imperfect. And so he tells the story first about lost sheep and how the idea of the one that he goes after instead of the 99 who were there. Then he talked about the coins, which was, uh, Jace had some really interesting uh, thoughts about that and the idea of the preciousness of that coin 
and then finally there were two sons and we agreed that we were going to quit calling it the prodigal son story because it's really uh, the lost sons plural because there are two sons involved in the story one who goes away and squanders his uh, inheritance and then the other one who stays but who's embittered uh, because of the young son and also at his dad so that kind of got us into this mode of saying it was kind of a TBD at the end because we don't really know what happens. The younger son, we know what happens. He comes back. He, he submits himself to Christ. He, you know, he, he does the right thing or submits himself to the father, but the older son, you know, he doesn't, he just kind of, Jesus kind of leaves it hanging, which will take us later on. But I was, I wanted to get your take on it, Zach, since you weren't here to comment on that. Cause you you were kind of like me. I shared in the story that I was kind of the, even though I'm Jace's older brother, I was the younger son in the in our life and story. And Jace was, had more of the tendency of the older brother, which she shared with. Uh, but what's your take on uh, on Luke 15? Well, first of all, I, it, it's one of my favorite passages too. Uh, we were talking about getting my take on them at the beginning. And Jace, so I don't know if Zach's had time to read it, but. And I haven't studied it recently, but I'll tell you the one thing, because <laughs> I, 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 I am behind on, on our study. But I'll tell you this, what I, what I love about this passage, what, what I, and I've preached out of it several times over the last you know, 15 years. But uh, there's this one thing that happens in this story that I think is the basis for why you probably shouldn't call it the prodigal son. I love, I love the point that y'all bring up, that there's two sons here, and, and there's a little caveat in the story that that's always like hit me really uh, in a, in a powerful way of understanding really what, what uh, the Hebrew writer meant in Hebrews 12, when he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the uh, pioneer and perfecter of our faith or the author and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and here's the thing that, that, that I want to point out that, I love this, that when the son goes off, the, the, the one that was like us, the prodigal, he goes off and he squanders the inheritance. He finds himself in the worst possible predicament. He's like he's so broken. He's so desperate. He's so entwined in his own depravity that he's looking at pig slop. And he's like, now that that would be good to eat. I mean, that, that's how far this guy has fallen. And he has that moment where he's like, Man, I gotta, I got, I got. It's not even like he wants to change. It's almost just a pragmatic, like this is not good. The 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 hired servants and and the the servants and the slaves in my father's household have it better than I do here. So his intention was to go back to his father, not to say, "Hey, let me back in as a son." He wasn't like entitled in this moment. He's literally like, "I'll take the scraps at my dad's house." I'll just be a servant there because even as a servant, I'm going to be better off than I am out here. So you kind of see his mentality. And so he comes back to the father. He's probably, I'm thinking, rehearsing in his mind. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell him. And then I just want to be a servant. I'm going to beg him. And maybe he'll let me back in. Maybe he'll give me a, one of the, like the lowest jobs on the totem pole. Or what, but his, his mindset is one of brokenness. And there's this moment. There's this incredible moment. Y'all probably pointed this out that gives us a glimpse into the heart of God. And it also testifies who the author and perfecter of our salvation is. It, it, it's that when he comes over the hill and the father sees him while he was a long way off and the father pursues him, the father takes off running after him. The father 
before the son could even say anything that he probably had rehearsed in his head, before the son could plead his case, before the son had did anything, the father was like, get the fattened calf, get the ring. My dead son is back and he's alive. And I love that because it puts all of the effort on of our salvation not on us. Thank God it puts it on the father. The father the father's the one who initiates. The father's the one that pursues. And so I think it's just important to remember who is the author of salvation? You know, we get a question a lot because uh, sometimes um, you'll hear um, and Phil or somebody might say that they converted somebody. But they don't mean that, I mean, God's doing the converting. I mean, like, it, it is all God, all him. All we mean by that is that we're just vehicles of, of sharing that message. But God, it's always God that does it. Ambassadors. We're ambassadors. ambassadors. Yeah. So I love that story, Al, Phil, Jace, because I feel like it, it, it puts into into picture form um, the beauty of of a God who accomplishes our salvation and and the reason why that's important because in my heart I know that I can't accomplish it so man I love the fact that all I do is turn I just turn to the you turn to the living God I, I want the scraps and the and the and the Father runs after you and the Father prepares the banquet before you even really have anything to have a chance to even say anything He comes. He comes to you. And I think that's important when we're discussing, you know, our own, our own uh, coming to Christ. We I mean, don't really come to Christ. Really, he comes to you and then you respond. So if you've been in uh, ministry as long as I have and talking to a lot of people, working with a lot of people, um, you realize that there are just certain things that the evil one uses and does, which has a, a huge negative impact on people. Uh, some call it the secret destroyer. Uh, that's waging war against the souls of men, women, and children, uh, and it attacks families. And what I'm talking about is pornography, um, and it's just been pervasive. It's not anything new. It's been around for as long as humanity's been around. But now, because of technology, it seems to be uh, easier and easier to get uh, this insidious tool of Satan into the minds and eyes of our, our young people, especially. Um, and one of our uh, really trusted sponsors, Covenant Eyes, uh, does a great job. And they have been for over 22 years. I was very aware of these guys back when I was doing ministry and trying to guide people to them uh, because they help bring accountability uh, into your family, into your home, uh, for your children, uh, because that's who uh, the evil one is after and earlier and earlier for him. So we they, these guys, along with us, want you to step into the battle for the sake of yourself and your family and your marriage. Uh, you can sign up for a free 30 days of Covenant Eyes if you go to CovenantEyes.com and enter the promo code Phil uh, to get started. So check these guys out, CovenantEyes.com. Use the promo code Phil, free 30 days. Uh, they're going to help you get started, bring accountability to your home uh, and to your own life. And one of the things we pointed out as well, Zach, was that when the older brother who reacts, you know, strongly when he hears that the younger brothers come back and he's not positive about it. Yeah. The, the, the father also goes to him and Jace made this point. We talked about it just like he did to the younger son. He goes to the older son because you'd think he would be like, Oh, that sourpuss, you know, just let him sit out there and stew it a little bit. He didn't, he yeah. went to him and he pleaded with him. Yeah. As a son, you know, look, this, this, this son of yours is returned. We have to celebrate because this is what, you know, this is what it's all about. And so I love it that, 
that God is so merciful that even when we respond in the negative ways to something good and something positive where angels are rejoicing in heaven, he still comes to us in that place too. And which is very powerful. It shows his long suffering with us. Yeah. He also, he went after the 90, uh, the one sheep, you know what I mean? He, 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 again, God, I think the message here is God goes after, God goes after us. Yeah. And, and the, the reason why the, the other son, the, his issue was that he thought that somehow the inheritance was based on his effort. Yeah. And he's like, but I've done all these things. That's right. And I've done, I've done the right thing. And I've, and I've, and so he sees the grace that's given to the other son. And he doesn't, he, what he doesn't get is that if, everything you got, anyways, you didn't earn it. It's your dad's. You know what I mean? That's his that's hard right. work. That's his accomplishments. That's not your accomplishments. That's his. So he had, he'd missed that. And I think that's why that, that the, the grace of God is the great leveler. You know what I mean? It's like the yeah. blood of Christ is the great leveler. And we want, we tend to want to judge ourselves based on somebody else. But if we judge ourselves based on the word of God, then we all really kind of stand in the position of the prodigal. Yeah. It, you know, everybody stands in that position. Everybody has sinned according to Paul and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace, not by, not by our merit or by our effort or work. Not that work's not important. It's just not, it's not the means of your salvation. Right. Well, the underlying theme to this whole story, the backdrop is humans putting their confidence in the pursuit of earthly material possessions and money. I mean, that that's kind of what, what it's about instead of things that will last. I mean, Jesus's new kingdom that he's introducing is you use all your earthly stuff for heavenly reasons. That's why he's constantly saying, give all your money away. Uh, yeah. You know, go to the lower places of honor at the table. When you have a banquet, invite everybody. And so you, you see a lot of undercurrent themes here. And one of them is that each individual is valuable. I mean, I think the number one thing I like about this, it's in response to why Jesus, the King of Kings, Savior of the world, greatest character of any adult that's ever walked the earth he's being ridiculed and questioned because he's eating with what religious people are calling lower class citizens if you're if you're somebody you don't eat with these types of people and we're right. so racially divided and we're so socially divided, you know, in our world even today, you just, you see a need for Jesus and the things that he brings to bring people together in heaven. And that's what, that that speaks to me because I'm like, I, once you put yourself at that yeah. table with him, well, that takes a whole new meaning. I mean... He came down here for each and every individual, of which I am one. It was pretty a uh, was a pretty provoking thought in the context of what's going on here, because you think about if if you're if you're part of Israel, if you're Jewish, then you are God's chosen people. You know what I mean? And but one of the big things that Jesus's ministry brought was kind of this mind blowing idea that he actually came to bring all the nations to him. 
It wasn't just one people group, which, by the way, Jesus, he explains this in the New Testament. But, man, think about how many verses in the Old Testament talk about um, God's desire for the nations. Think about, um, you know, go read the book of Isaiah. We're going to uh, Isaiah's prophecies right now. And I'm like, I mean, it's just one after another of God having a desire for the nations. And so when you think about this expansive kingdom, that is bigger than one people group that, that encompasses all people groups across all the world. And you say, what's the, what is the two things that people, well, one thing that we all have in common and another thing that we could have in common. One thing that we all have in common is, is that we all stand equally guilty before a holy God. And that's the great, you can't go and look at your brother with, or look at any other human being with, with disdain and, and prejudice if you understand your own position, once you understand your own position in creation, meaning that you understand that you stand, no, you fall guilty. One of the things that draws a better, I, I get a better feeling when I understand the sun in, in uh, verse 21, 15, 21. Yeah. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He knew what was right and wrong. I'm no longer yeah. worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, and it's the one of the few times where it made me feel good that God moves quickly because here, quick, bring, this is God talking, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring mm. on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now look how things are changing once God steps into the picture. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Man, I like that about God. He moves quickly. If you're wondering about where is God, he said he's there right in your face. Look what he's done for you. I'm so glad you brought that up because there were a couple of passages I didn't get a chance to read. Before we moved to 16, I wanted to talk about this, this idea, because the the son, when he was in the pig pen, he said, you know, I don't have any right. If I can just be accepted back as a servant, that's good enough. But you're right. When he came to Christ, when he came to God, he was made a son. And I want to read a couple of passages because Paul was real quick was not his expectation. I mean, that's it, right. That's that. I think that's key. His expectation was, I just want to get in. And he had not, I, he had not said those words yet. And the father had actually em, had embraced him first. It saw him a long way off, yep. embraced him. And then, and then he comes back and says that, but his expectation was not, I mean, he must have been blown away at the father's response after his verbal confession. He must yeah. have been blown away by that. He was. And and the reason I know he was is because I was too, because that's how I was accepted. Listen to this, Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers, Paul tells the Romans, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, the sinful nature, to live according to it, because that's what this younger brother was doing. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die which is what he realized, right, in that pig pen. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And that's what the Father made him, his son. He reinstituted, he restored him. 
for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave. Because see, he was like, if I could just be a slave, that's good enough. But God said, no, you're more than that. Not makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. No matter how bad it is, you, you can climb out of it, and you can climb out of it in a hurry. That's right. Well, yeah. Because God's in a hurry to save you. Yeah, and and. And offers that idea of sonship. Let's take another break. It's always fun to look back on your youth, uh, even as a young adult, and kind of have those uh, people that you always looked up to or enjoyed, whether it's uh, someone on television or, you know, some hobby you like. And one of mine was Chuck Norris. You know, I've talked about before on the the podcast. I'm a huge Chuck Norris fan. Uh, He's not just an action star. He's a veteran. He's a family man. Uh, and he's really big on health. And I got to meet him a few years ago, which was a big highlight for me. Uh, and he was everything I expected. He's very gracious, a great guy. Talked about his family. Uh, his sons loved our, our show when it was on, which was, you know, meant a lot to me. Now he's 83 years old, uh, but he doesn't look it. His mom was over 100. And uh, so obviously something he's doing is right out there. But he realized he took all these supplements and he couldn't quite find exactly what he needed. And so he's finally come up with a new one uh, where he's taken all the things that he's tried and put them into one thing. And it's called Morning Kick, uh, which seems perfect for Chuck Norris. It seemed like that's what he, how he would start his day. Uh, it's 10 of Chuck Norris's favorite supplements in one daily drink. It's probiotics, prebiotics, superfoods, uh, several of the most powerful supplements on earth. It's fantastic. It tastes like strawberry lemonade. Uh, Lisa and I have it. We started it even before uh, they became a sponsor for a podcast. So uh, check it out. If you want to know why Chuck Norris is is doing as well as he is, check out his morning kick at mymorningkick.com slash unashamed. That's mymorningkick.com slash unashamed. Uh, Just remember, all individuals are unique, and as such, your results can and will vary. Well, I had the same thought, Al, you know, when he said this son of mine, you know, we started talking about Phil was talking about this guy who comes up to him with, you know, bad things that happened to him when he was a child and abuse happens, unfortunately, every day in our culture. And so not only do you got to deal with the, the mistakes that you make as an adult, you have all this baggage that was thrust on you because we live in an evil world. But in Galatians 3, speaking of this, in verse 26, it says, you are all sons of God, which seems weird at first because you think, well, what about the women? And he says, through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ which that phrase just, we, we, we read over it, but the what a, what a profound statement that mm-hmm. you're putting on Christ, you're clothing yourself, who had all this injustice done to him. And despite all that, because of his love and the purpose of the Father, 
went to a cross. Insult, rebuke, persecution, sins of the world on his back. And to do that because of love is really the only way you can look at things that happen in your childhood and the injustices that happen and say, you know what? For the sake of God creating me for a purpose, I'm going to let that go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to yeah. bury that. And so then it says, there, then it gets into this same thing. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And he explains that when he gets to the next chapter in verse 4. In verse 2, it says, He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. We all know what it means to be a slave to sin. You know, Ephesians 2 kind of says that. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons because you are sons, same type of verse that Al just read, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out father, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir, which gets back to this underlying principle of using earthly situations, circumstances, material possessions, money, or even bad things that happen to you, you use this as a catalyst to realize Jesus came here for you. God wants you to be a son, and then you experience eternal inheritance, which is everything God has. Yeah. You are now having access to. Well, you know, if you if you think about the, if you're in a position and you think, man, I've made a mess of my life and I'm this, I am this guy eating the pig slop. You think, what, like, what do I do? Cause that's the big question. I think people think is what, what do I do? I was thinking you know, kind of what you guys are even describing is this, the bit, what you get is the sonship you get, you get that. But our, our response is so important because the, what we want to do is we want to say, okay, let me, let me go make things right. You know, let me go, let me let me like do a lot of good things and um, and hopefully kind of give enough time between you know that whatever the big sin you did was and and let's get some time between us and then maybe I can be right with God like some one of the young kids at church this Sunday um, asked his parents if he could take communion he said I've been good all week can I take communion and I'm like man what an opportunity to share with him what communion's all about like, <laughs> that's you right you know you, you which is so great I love it I love kids get to see communion and baptism because it gives an opportunity to ask questions and you can share the gospel with them but man listen to this in Psalms 51 which is a a, a psalm that David wrote after David had um, committed adultery um, with Bathsheba and he had also committed murder uh, murdered her husband and was called out, you know, by a prophet who basically read his mail and told him, you know, you're the guy, you know, you're, you're the, you're the one that's wrong here. The one that you wanted to punish, it gave him this big story. And he's like, you're that guy. And, and when he heard this and he, and he like understood the weight of his sin in this moment, the only thing that he could do was repent. And he wrote this Psalm 
that we sing that we sing in church growing up a lot. It's it's created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. You can get the same imagery of the of the son, the prodigal son, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. By the way, your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressor, transgressors your ways that, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, because he was a murderer. You are my, my God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and open my mouth, and my mouth will declare your praise. You, and this is the part I love, because we want to bring the sacrifices in. We want to start, well, what are going to do? This is what he says here. Here's the promise from God. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is this. It's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. That is a promise. And I think that's what you see in the heart of God here. We don't bring anything to God except a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And I like that. I don't like that. I, I take a lot of comfort in that because there's been a lot of times in my life when my spirit has been crushed and, and a lot of times because of my own sin. Man, how awesome is it that we have a promise in Scripture that if I come to my God with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, he will not despise me. In fact, he will bring me in and make me a son again and again and again. He reaffirms I am, I am his son. And I tr- that is a great spirit to live in with this this promise of God, as I think played out here in the story of the prodigal son. Well, and think about that, the passage I read in Romans, and the one I'm glad Jace, Jace had written down, Galatians 3, right after that, that you went to, uh, Great Minds, I guess. But think about that, the picture of the gifts that he gave him, that what they symbolize in those later passages, he says, Jay's read that you're clothed with Christ. And what did the father do? He puts this new robe on him to signify that he's a son, that that, that pig poop that he had been, you know, in was covered by, by Christ's sacrifice. And then that ring is put on his finger, which we talked about being a symbol of empowerment because now you wear the ring of the father. So you're a true son. And, And when I think about power and how we're empowered, I think about the Holy spirit that God gives us, that gives us now the power to be able to be like him. And then the idea of the fattened calf, which is, Zach, you just mentioned, the idea of sacrifice for celebration, that ultimately, because of a sacrifice, we have been made clean. Therefore, we can celebrate and and show other people. So even in the gifts that he gives the son to show his sonship, we see that same picture that's given to us. Mm -hmm. And then again, even though the older brother doesn't react and respond the way that he should. The father even still opens up that opportunity for him, which I think ultimately takes us to chapter 16. Yeah, because, well, because I think, I think he was using the older brother as an illustration of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Correct. In, in the story. He right. he addressed why he's eating with the tax collectors and sinners, and I think that was the prodigal son, the the young son, and then the older brother. I think he was talking to them because then he he kind of continues in chapter sixteen because you're going to see before we read it that 
verse 14, it says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So he, he's bringing these parables up to not only convict us through his love and forgiveness, but he's also, you got to remember the Pharisees, they're made by God also. Right. And, and he's trying to present his case to them. That's right. So I think when we get into these, I, the word that comes to my mind, when we get to chapter 16, because there's three different instances here. The first parable that he's going to tell, he aims at his disciples. He says in, in verse one, Jesus told his disciples, and I'll read in just a minute. But as Jason mentioned, we get down to 14, the Pharisees who overhear what he just told his disciples, all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, you know, he, is he talking to us? You know, because and so then he addresses them, which we'll talk about. And then when you get to verse 19, I think he's going to lay out a choice that would apply to disciples, Pharisees or anybody. The choice is real simple. Are you living for this life or are you preparing for the next one? And so I think he lays out three different ideas here uh, as we break them down. And it really boils down to a choice. And it makes sense when you think about it, because he just painted this picture where uh, the Pharisee was listening to him tell the story about the two uh, sons. They're going to relate much more to the older son because he looks like exactly what they're all about. Yeah. Why would we why would you honor people who squander what's good? You know, we're, we're like that guy. So he knows they're relating to him. And yeah, I think that's why he comes back with this next story. I agree, but I do think that each one has the same thing in common, which to go back to kind of the context of what Jesus is doing before his death, he's introducing this eternal kingdom. Well, when you say that, if something is eternal, we, we know by this earth, even you know if you're not a believer or not, this thing's going to wear out. It, it's temporary. Yep. This, this is not an eternal earth unless something eternal were to transform it that that's the only way that's going to happen and so he's given these illustrations on you really have two choices are you going to live for the temporary or are you going to be open-minded to what i'm bringing which is something eternal and so it's like every one of these parables or stories or however you want to classify the rich man and Lazarus because there's a big debate whether that's a story or a parable because you got a real real name dropped in here which I think he did that on purpose because things that are eternal if you're known by God well you're eternal I mean so of course it would make sense to use a real name but I do think that's the theme of what he's introducing yeah about the kingdom. No, I, I agree. And I think this first passage we're going to read is a little, I, I, I guess you would call it controversial be, because again, if you took it out of the context, Jesus was trying to tell it in, it would seem like he was being, um, he was uplifting dishonesty, which he's not. He's just painting a picture for them to understand out of the world. But I think the question is, the who and why you choose to serve because he paints yeah. it in a worldly picture and said, well, this is why worldly people do it. 
So yeah. why wouldn't why wouldn't we be as zealous as worldly people in our in our approach to the kingdom? I think is the point he's trying to make. <laughs> no, I so, thought the same thing. I love it when Jesus tells a story that makes religious people, even in modern day, <laughs> uncomfortable. That's, that's right. <laughs> it's like the least the least uh, preached miracle is when Jesus changes the water to wine. Yeah, because it makes a lot of religious people uncomfortable. They're like, you don't say, well, that couldn't have been real wine. You know, it's just like, so just, you know, we are what we are. And I do think the story of the older brother in Luke 15, which a lot of religious groups defend, as in saying, now he was perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with him. (laughs) Complete. I I read it. Read the scholars. There's a lot of them that, who I think have legalistic, pharisaical tendencies if you're going to defend the older brother in that story. I'm trying to be open-minded about it, but I just can't be. I I just think they missed it. And so this story and the story of of Lazarus and the rich man, it makes religious people very uncomfortable because they're like, one guy was loaded. He went to hell. You know, the other guy had nothing. He was a beggar, and he didn't. And for different reasons, that just makes people feel uncomfortable. So what I read, Al, in my research, which I wanted to make this point, is most of what I read from the scholars and from different denominations was what Jesus didn't mean. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Rather than what he means. That's right. So I found it quite comical. And— I mean, once look, it was not a story I was familiar with. I don't know if you were, but it, I'm sure I've read it before. But before we did this, I read it, and I was like, hmm, what a weird story. That's right. <laughs> I told them yesterday morning, I said, some of you may be wondering who you'll be. You said, well, who, well, who will I be once I'm baptized? They had raised their hand said they want to be baptized. They heard the gospel. But they said, I want in. And they, and they basically, I told them, I said, look, when you're wondering who you are, just tell them you're a member of the kingdom. And I walked over to the board and I pointed to Jesus. I said, and he's the king. That's who you'll be. That's so weird that because I had somebody ask me yesterday, who will I be if I come to Christ? They, they asked me the same identical yeah. question. I gave a different answer, but that one would have been good. I said, you'll know where you came from. You'll know what you're doing here, and you'll know where you're headed. That was my it's answer. Attributes of the kingdom. But well, I, exactly. I just went to the source. I said, he's your king, right? the one right here, the one who died yeah. for you and was raised for you. Well, I just said you want to read the story? or Yeah, I was going to read it. So, Because I think what you just said is exactly what he's trying to get across to his disciples. Remember, this is who it's aimed towards in this story. So he tells his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So what he's saying is, is he's firing him but he wants him to bring in the audit first. And so this guy knows now he's, he's done. The jig is up. This, this man- made me realize this is probably where they got the idea to do that show. Uh, the apprentice. Yeah. You're, You're fired. fired. <laughs> You're, <'cause> that, 
Every <laughs> time I think the world comes up with some novelty idea, I get nope. to reading in the Bible somewhere, <laughs> and he brings him in, and he's like, you're fired. So not only does he tell him that up front, but now he's got to go and show him what he's not been doing. So the manager says to himself, verse 3, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. So he gets it. I'm not strong enough to dig. <laughs> I love the honesty of that. Don't I'm not give strong me enough a shovel. Dig. Don't give me a shovel. I'm too ashamed to beg. So I, I can't dig. I can't beg. I know uh, what I'll do. Here, so he comes up with a plan. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he, he hatches a plan. So he calls in each of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. That's a lot of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. So he he cuts his bill in half. Then he asked the second one, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. It's a lot of wheat. He told them, take your bill and make it 800. So he does a 20% cut there. Verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. That's a really important part of this whole context, I think. And then he says in verse 9, and remember he's talking to his disciples, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, Jace, that's the verse that makes the religious world super uncomfortable. And then verse 10, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we mentioned what the response is going to be. Before we get there, I want to flesh out this first thought just to the disciples and kind of what we think he was trying to, what's the point he's trying to get across to them. Yeah, I drew a line when it said, I'm devoted to, and then I'll put a blank. And when he says, those who, dev- let's see, what, what did that say again? Uh, in, in 13, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So when you look at your life, if you put, I am devoted to, if there's anything other than God, it's going to mean you despise God. Right. If you're devoted to God, well, you despise what money could do to you. Or you despise, but you could put good things. I mean, there's nothing wrong with money. Right. You know, you could put, I'm devoted to my wife. But if that's more important than God, I'm probably going to despise God at some point. Because what happens when I lose her or what happens when she does me wrong or so it's a really radical statement and it's done in a story that makes us 
say, wait, what? Because the Pharisees who loved money heard all this, and they were sneering at Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. It, well, ultimately, he's going to get to them. They're hitting a home run when he starts talking about the power of money. So, so here's here's what I here's what I think his point is. This is just my take, and it could be wrong. So he tells the story, and and a little bit of background I think helps in the sense that you know the Jews, the, it was very in law they couldn't have interest and in what they would call usury on the people. They weren't supposed to do that. So the way they get around that, which by the way Jesus never com- commends the man for being dishonest, either the owner or the manager. What he condemns is how they worked out where they were going to land. And so I I think that's what the whole thing is talking about. So what they would do to get around not having interest, instead of you paying back money, interest on money, which you could not do under law, what you would do is you say, you know, you owe me a certain amount of money. So I tell you what, you give me, you know, however many barrels of olive oil. And that way I can get you, I can charge you more without having to have an interest on it. So, so the owner is dishonest and the, the manager are dishonest, but the owner looks at the manager and says, well, you, you're pretty slick. So what you did was I've been slicking people out of interest, but now you slick me because how could, how could I get you back? Cause you're doing something that I couldn't do anyway. So, so I think what Jesus is saying is, because the manager was preparing for where he would wind up, he says, that's the way I want you disciples to be. And then he goes, because he goes into the whole thing then about when you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. So the whole thing he's trying to tell his disciples is you should have the same ingenuity, resources, putting into what you will be in the kingdom as what you have right now. And so I think that's the simple part of the point that, that he's yeah. trying to get across to his disciples. Well, I, I agree with your conclusion uh, 100%. Now, I don't think it really matters about the interest. And all. I, I think my take on it was, I mean, we arrive at the same conclusion. I just got there a little differently. Right. Which was he basically had had the wrong attitude. And here's why I concluded what I what I'll tell you is, you know, I didn't agree with when he said, uh, "My master is taking away my job." That's in verse three. Well, what yeah. are you talking about? You haven't been doing your. He, he's blaming <laughs> the master <laughs> for him point. not doing his job. Well, he took. I got fired. He took away my job. Well, it sounds like the facts. You didn't do your job. That's right. But then he commends him because what that so once that the gavel has been struck, he then realized, well, what am I going to do? So what he did was he used the master and and him firing him by gaining friends so, by counseling their accounts cuz then so he's going to lose the job, but then he's going to go to all the Guys, he just made this deal with because they look at him as like awesome. They just saved him a tremendous, I mean, he saved them a tremendous amount of money. So he's going to start his own business and he's going to, he basically went the relationship route for his next venture. He, he took his clients. You know, if you were looking at this like a law firm type of deal, 
he did his manager wrong on multiple fronts here. And even though he got some of it back, he won them over because he's like, look, I made the deal. Remember that time when I saved you? out Well, now I got another venture that I'm going to do. And I think that's what he's, Jesus is telling the parable to say, look, think of, think of the heavenly inheritance here. You need to use all of this worldly wealth and all these arguments that, you know, come up and all the deals that you're making. You need to find eternal rewards in those transactions. What's going to happen next? Because if you put it all in the basket of what happens on the earth, wh- yeah. where are you going to go to? And that's I, what he I, says. In ver- this is verse 9. He says that. He says, basically, you, you're going in there and you're, you, you're doing all this, these dealings and you're, you're using your wealth to get all these friends. And that, he said, that, that's great. Because when it fails, you know what I mean, when that comes to an end, depending on the translation you have, when that happens, when that's going to fail you, then then he says you'll 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 uh, have the the eternal how does he say welcomed into eternal dwellings. So it's almost like he's saying, you know how shrewd you guys are, man. That's awesome how shrewd you are in business. Yeah, and that doesn't hardly even matter. Like I mean, that's that's a that's a small 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 little thing compared to what what we're talking about here in this eternal dwelling this eternal kingdom it's a much bigger picture much bigger picture and that's why he kind of comes back to it when he says like the the idea is if you if you can be trusted with a little then you can be trusted with a lot and if you are dishonest with a little you'll be dishonest with a lot because a lot of people a lot of people including myself we, we tell ourselves this when i get then i'll do when this happened, oh, the only reason why you do that is because you have that. And, and it, we're, I'm always attaching what I'm going to do to what I have. And But I look at like, you know, Phil and Kay, you guys came up this weekend. Someone asked you all about hospitality. Man, y'all were, y'all were pouring it out when you had nothing. You know, I mean, you were you were feeding people when you had nothing. You were so when that grows into more, well, what it grows into is just more giving, more hospitality. In the same way, if I'm stingy with nothing, if I'm stingy when I'm poor, I'm going to be stingy when I'm rich. And it's the same principle here of what he's trying to paint. I think he's trying to paint a picture of is what does eternal shrewdness look like? Take that emphasis and put it on the kingdom and and, and see what happens. Which, of course, yeah, the Pharisees were missing. All right. So we're out of time, but uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, in our overtime segment. If you want to follow us over blazetv.com slash Unashamed is where you find our overtime. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.